You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I completed my initial draft of The Plot to Betray America well before the Mueller report was publicly released. It was satisfying to have Mueller validate everything I had written in this and my two previous books, because numerous right-wing pundits have been insisting all along that the Trump-Russia scandal was a wild liberal conspiracy theory. It's eerie how easy it was for me, an average intelligence professional, to unravel the Russian operation as I did in The Plot to Hack America. The findings in that book came out six weeks before the election and foreshadowed the Mueller report, including predicting that there would be an FBI counterintelligence investigation that would critically damage the Trump presidency. In the plot to destroy democracy, I learned how horrifically hard it was to pin down Trump on conspiracy charges. He controlled the public relations tools of the nation and had a historical enemy working in his interest. This part of the Mueller report would end up at 448 pages. I did it in 345. However, the plot to destroy democracy exposed the fantastical web of ties between Team Trump and both Russians and European anti-immigrant alternative right-wing political factions. It revealed his desire to join an axis of autocrats led by Putin. In the plot to betray America, I detail how Trump his political team, his family, and his most loyal American followers deliberately tried to get away with the greatest act of treachery in the history of the United States, an open, in-your-face betrayal of the oath of office for money, power, and the chance to fundamentally break the American traditional system of government and damage our national security to benefit Trump's allies in Russia, Saudi Arabia, and a newfound friend in North Korea. Trump has tried to make America essentially a Moscow-backed autocracy filled with obscene corruption. Gone is the accountability and image of transparency in a constitutional democracy that so many Americans would find they had taken for granted. Plot to Betray America is the story of how equal measures of hatred, ambition, ignorance, and superstition have come to tear America apart. It is a nightmarish tale two parts political thriller and one part spy novel of how the formerly hardline anti-communist Republican Party had turned up, turned on a nation's norms and shredded itself belief in the Constitution to cover up the crimes of a pathological liar. History has revealed that Trump is a man who could barely construct a comprehensive sentence on tangible policy to the American people but has managed to use the raw power of the Oval Office to subjugate the 60% of Americans who oppose him and to ignore any law that suits him. This man has created a for-profit concentration camp system and has publicly overjoyed when he separated thousands of Central American, Honduran, Guatemalan, and Nicaraguan children from their parents and caged them in the desert prisons. The worst part of the story is how easily one-third of the nation has been brainwashed into backing a man who thought the pinnacle achievement of his life would be able to construct a building emblazoned with the word Trump in Moscow, the capital of our enemy. This American story is a shameful, sorrowful tale, the likes of which we should be heartfully embarrassed about. Malcolm Nance is the author of 
the plot to hack America, the plot to destroy democracy. His new book is The Plot to Betray America, How Team Trump Embraced Our Enemies, Compromised Our Security, and How We Can Fix It. Thank you for joining me, Malcolm. It's my pleasure. I like being in San Francisco. I don't blame you. You know, at the beginning of this book, I just began to really feel my age. I'm of an age where my um, picture of Russia is colored by Dr. Strangelove, Failsafe, yeah. essentially the old yeah. guard of we're going to nuke ourselves to death and we've got to really watch these guys. Right. And in the beginning of this book, you pulled out the one thing that just absolutely terrorized me from three years ago, which was when uh, then-candidate Trump said to the American, to the world, Russia, if you are listening. That sentence, just uh, when I heard that, my I was so flabbergasted, I didn't even know what to make. I think I, my thought was, that that's treason on national TV in front of the world. How can he get away with that? No, that you're you're absolutely right. And in fact, I'll, I'll give you a secret. The original title of this book was the plot to commit treason. <laughs> and then you know you're running through the lawyers. And even though you use the term rhetorically, and I do a description in here of, of the history of the word treason mm -hmm. and how it was used rhetorically. Um, so, but we are not in active open war with Russia. Treason due to some of the uh, activities of the American Revolution was a strictly defined term, uh, the same as, you know, high crimes and misdemeanors, right? They wanted that, that one crime that was in the Constitution to be very clear and also so that the family of people who carried out acts of treason weren't, weren't punished in the same vein. So for all of the betrayal that Donald Trump has done, you know, and Nancy Pelosi is the one who just recently, when she said open the inquiry on impeachment, said Donald Trump has done the fundamental betrayal of his oath of office. I thought, wow, I picked that title pretty good. <laughs> but more importantly, it is an accurate reflection of how he views his job. His job means nothing to the Constitution of the United States or the people of the United States. This is entirely a vehicle for him to make money, to wield power, and to, and, and to storm around like the, you know, the angry, petulant child that we all knew he was. But um, he, on July 27, 27 uh, 2016, absolutely became Russia's witting asset, knowing, as the Mueller report said, that Russia was benefiting him, was conducting operations to benefit him, that he himself could, could receive and accept those benefits and coordinate his team to take them in order to cheat in the 2016 election. And he did it willfully, openly. And then, of course, you know, a narcissistic person like that thinks the world revolves around him. He thought that he could command Russia to do things. And like he said, and he was right to a certain extent, U.S. news media would just run along and follow any bone that was thrown to them so long as it was dirt on Hillary Clinton. I, I thought there was something you said back there about made history. And as we well know, History is repeated by those who ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's one of the strengths of your books because your books 
are very well steeped in history. And what you do so well is you show us the backdrop of all of that stuff that's going on now so well that we don't have to, It's you don't have to predict everything that happens in the future is already predicated by what you've unearthed in the past. Yeah, and this is why I, I focused this book on Team Trump, because I had already done the analysis of the hacking before the election, and then I had done that, you know, in Plot to Betray, Amer uh, Plot to Destroy Democracy, that analysis of Russia's strategy that and how <laughs> they wanted to essentially create you know, not a, you know, a global dictatorship, but an alliance of autocracies that they would engineer and fund and, and topple liberal democracy in West, in Europe, uh, in order to create right-wing political governments who would now change the poles of the world away from Washington to Europe to Moscow, from Moscow to Europe to Washington. And Donald Trump was to be the other pole of this global alliance of autocrats, or as I called it, the axis of autocracies. But, you know, like you, I was, I was born in the Cold War, and, uh, I, and I was steeped as, you know, a baby, you know, cryptologist, as a baby intelligence person, that, you know, and even though I was a specialist in the Middle East, I, I, my first language I learned professionally was Russian, the second was Mandarin Chinese, and then... You know, uh, when I went to Defense Language Institute, the Russians back then were a bit racist, and they didn't particularly want African Americans in the Russian Corps. So, I got routed to Middle East uh, in in Arabic and realized I was natural in that. I was just a natural in in that, and actually my skin complexion would come in very beneficial for other government agencies that wanted to task me out and, and send me on assignments uh, that weren't part of my original mandate. But more importantly. I'm a, I'm a student of history. My, mm -hmm. my family, as, is a, as African-Americans, we go back to the Civil War, every war, father and son, uh, you know, including right up to, the, to this point, my niece who's still in the Navy, who's been in combat uh, in the Middle East. So I take history very seriously. My father was a huge student of history, and he had a large, you know, I mean, he, he joined the Navy at 15 in 1944 and was steaming ships across the Pacific. So you had to read. And, you know, the, you know, which you could read fluff and learn nothing or you can read about where you're going. And to know where you're going, you need to know what has happened there before and will it come up and bite you? <laughs> when, or, you know, so they, he read about Japan and he read about, you know, many, many, many things. And he instilled that in us that you have to know history. So I can't explain what happens in these books with just simple platitudes and saying, here's the details of Donald Trump. Um, you know, here's the, here's the calendar, D, 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 D. They, they go in this order. You really have to go back and, and wonder, you know, more than the who, what, when, where, and how. You have to show the why. And to do the why, you have to know what's the basis of their, of their knowledge about yourself. So... History is a critical component of here. I view myself as an amateur historian. People refer to me as a historian. Uh, but in fact, what I'm doing is just giving you the, pre the precedence and context, as, as we say in our analysis world, of, the, of the, ac the activities you're going to see. They have a backstory. And if you don't know the backstory, it just looks like, oh, Donald Trump is just shouting for Russia to do something. 
28x KGB officer, right? <laughs> so, and in this book, um, I actually go deeply into Putin as a baby spy. Mm, I, I thought, you know, I, I have to say, when I, after I read the plot to destroy it, democracy, all I had to do, every time something new would happen, I think, well, how does that fit in to Putin's plan based on what the Russians have done before? And everything just slotted right in. Now you can right see it fit, in. right? It's exactly. Like right here, slit right here. This is what Round really pegs and great, round holes with Russia. This is what really great writers are supposed to do. When you read a book, you're supposed to have your vision of the world transform. Yes. And that's what these do in a snappy, page-turning manner. So okay. I, I'd like you to, you are also talking about that we're not in a war, so this isn't treason. One of the things reading this book made me realize was that, in a sense, I think we really are in a war, and I think that history will look back on the, from 1945 to 1989 was the first Cold, Cold World War. War. Right. After 1989, you get a break of a couple of years from the time Putin hit, to now, to, to the 2016, mm -hmm. was the second Cold World War. I like to actually refer to this period as Web War Two. Oh, exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. The Web War One, mm -hmm. I think we are involved in now cyber war. Yes, And exactly. Web War One, the wars of influence also. Mm -hmm. Web War One was Russia's operations against Georgia and Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Ukraine. And then when they decided to, you know, start you know, surveilling uh, the Western world, getting involved in the Scottish referendum. Mm. That has an entire Russian intelligence component into it, which if you start realizing over the last 10 years, virtually every major referendum and separatist movement in the world is being backed by Russia, including California secession. Oh, yeah, that's what I, I remember yeah. talking with my sister about that. Yeah, well, the, only, the guy who created California secession, I think last year, mm -hmm. moved to Moscow permanently. <laughs> and he was flying back and forth there, and he had established what he called the embassy of, of Nor, you know, NorCal or whatever, you know, Arcadia, uh, whatever he called Northern California in Moscow. And they were funding him, and now he's permanently moved there. The people who run the Texas, Texas secession movement uh, often go to these conferences of uh, the conservative international, I call them, uh, in Moscow. So Russia is not playing games here. Putin is an ex-communist. And the only thing that has changed in his doctrine of what and his strategy of what he really wants to affect in this world is the absence of communism being replaced with really hardcore autocracy. And, kleptocracy. And, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> kleptocracy is what it is, but his actual doctrine is autocracy. Mm -hmm. Top-down uh, rule, uh, of, of, but it's not of a lesser totalitarian nature. It's a capitalist autocracy in where you have the ability to make money, and I'm not going to play with you on a day-to-day -day basis, but if you come within my sights and you start bringing that democracy talk or you start freedom of speeching, we have the ways to bring you in. He even still has the Cossacks, for God's sakes, <laughs> that the Tsar used to use. You might recall when Pussy Riot, the, mm -hmm. the Russian band, exactly. did that uh, flash music uh, at, at near a memorial. And re Cossacks with the hats and the whips came in and beat them publicly, right? And then, of course, they sentenced them to prison. Well, that's because, as you, as you often demonstrate, uh, 
Putin knows how to create a public spectacle and to use that to communicate something that is completely unsaid by any of the participants on either side. Mm -hmm. And that is, we can smash you at any moment and we'll do so and have fun doing so. He's really Russian in that respect. <laughs> and I mean, really, I mean, that we thought we were seeing the trappings of uh, democracy in the 1990s, but really it was just, you know, fundamental kleptocracy coming in and cap raw, you know, Karl Marx warned you capitalism <laughs> coming through the door, you know, and, and a lot of people got nostalgic for the Soviet Union, but they got nostalgic for the Soviet Union for the order, not for the philosophy mm -hmm. of, you know, shared, you know, living and cheap vodka. Uh, you know, collectivism was not what they wanted. They wanted the trappings of the West. They got their jeans. They got BMWs. They got Mercedes Benzes. They got jobs, but now they understand that that was just trickling down from an oligarchy. So Putin himself reestablished Russia on the basis of Tsar Nicholas I, uh, whose philosophy was, um, uh, it was nationality, uh, orthodoxy in the church, and uh, autocracy. And Putin has transformed that into uh, oligarchy, autocracy, nationality, kleptocracy and and so he, but only people he allows to steal from the state can be allowed to steal from the state and of course they have to give him a share and so we're running smack into this transformation from the duck and cover the communists want to kill you because they want to eliminate democracy around the world as an ideology to the this 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 communist collectivist nation has now shifted to raw capitalism and they're not going to nuke you to get or go to war anymore to get rid of democracy they're going to buy political parties around the world including the united states and you are going to vote democracy out <laughs> it's the ultimate weapon right you weaponized freedom of freedom of assembly and the right to vote to eliminate it you know uh one of the things that uh, you write about it is the astonishing ability to do this stuff right out in the open. And I think that what interests me too is that we have um, the way that conspiracy theories work. Mm -hmm. um, on one hand, we have the conspiracies that are, are actually really happening mm -hmm. and they're like, and they're happening in front of our faces. Mm -hmm. And they're just so, because they're happening in front of our faces, they're perfectly unbelievable. Right. So we can grasp at the ones that we, that we can't see, really, that aren't happening, right. and make all these theories and give, this has given them the ability to do something very valuable, which is to destroy consensus reality. That's absolutely right. Um, and, and that's what they rely on. But the, f the fundamental basis of this comes back to the, the, the era of the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. Russia was not a stupid country. They were very highly educated people there. Oh, yeah. uh, they used them in the wrong ways. But academia over there truly did study the world. And they knew us better than we knew us. They had more people who could speak English then we had people who could speak Russian by the, by the, by a, a multitude, right? By a score by a hundred uh, times a hundred, um, and so it was just much easier to get into our heads and understand us. 
And so all of those studies that the Soviet Union did about what is America, right? The, the this is thus, you know, from the, the communist perspective, if you eliminated all the communist rhetoric around it, they were very raw studies, right? The United States is fundamentally racist. Uh, the Civil War has traces that they've never come to grips with. Uh, and the Russians were, this, at the time, the Soviets were always looking for angles that they could create dissent within the United States. None of those studies was thrown into the burn bag, right? They were never, never oh, no. destroyed when the Soviet Union fell. And Vladimir Putin knew where all those archives was because he was the first director of the FSB, Russian intelligence in the mm -hmm. post-war period. And, uh, you know, you have to understand that f trying to influence the United States to where you are no longer the big, bad, evil Russia is a, is a long haul unless you have a plan. And so now everyone's rich. Uh, you know, there's, a, there's an oligarchical level. There's an oligarchy in Russia. Westerners getting rich off of Russia's natural resources and the liquidation of Soviet assets. Uh, your, your boss who's in charge is an ex-spy who uses intelligence apparatus and, and, and uh, behaviors to, to rein in anybody who he hates and, of course, to make money. As in fact, people say that Putin may, in fact, be the richest man in the world, you know, because he has, you know, billions upon billions upon billions, as much as $200 billion of Soviet resources that were liquidated, that it was all disappeared off the face of the earth, or because he controls every oligarch. And technically, their money's his money, right? Well, sure. So if you're worth $10 billion, that's because Vladimir Putin allows you to have $10 billion. And, you know, in Middle East tribalists, you know, are, are the same way. You know, United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia. If the sheikh doesn't want you to have those, you know, to be the guy in charge of, you know, the, the cotton candy concession, it's gone the next morning and so are you. Uh, and this is where Putin excels because he learned that in studying the West in the Soviet era and the stuff that he saw and his devout lifelong you know, belief that you had to destroy Western democracy translated over into the, into the post-communist world. And for him, it was about better advantage for Russia because despite what people think, Russia is still a trailer park with atomic bombs. It's a poor country. <laughs> it has the gross domestic product of Italy and it, we do more trade with Chile than we do with Russia. I mean, they just don't, they have natural gas, they have oil, and they have weapon systems, and that's it. There is nothing else you buy from Russia, you know? And in the oldie days, uh, in the, when the, with the communists, remember they used to make those cheap lot of cars? Oh, yeah. You know, and they would force sell them to all of their subordinate slave states in the Warsaw Pact. Well, that's all gone. So they have no natural markets anymore. Uh, and they are going back to you know, essentially uh, having, you know, partner states like Cyrus. Oh, yeah. You know, and they would force sell them to all of their subordinate slave states in the Warsaw Pact. Well, that's all gone. So they have no natural markets anymore. Uh, and they are going back to, you know, essentially uh, having, you know, partner states like Syria. And, you know, but they're doing it in a different way now. They understand that weapons are, you know, weapons market is really something that they can work with. So don't sell to countries who are, you know, your allies, you know, like Tajikistan. 
right? Start selling to the people who, who everyone's afraid of, like Iran. And then what that does is that gives you influence within, within their world sphere. But also um, Putin understood another thing. There, there were studies that were done about social media and information warfare. Mm -hmm. I think this is one of the really interesting parts of, of this book yeah. is the way you extract that. So continue. Yeah, so social media and information warfare, Russia saw very early on, because remember, they have geniuses over there also who are brilliant computers, you know, uh, Kas Kaspersky Labs, right? Yeah. One of the first major cybersecurity companies that we're all regretting <laughs> that we had, you know, because uh, that we'd used on our computers because they're now a wholly owned subsidiary of, you know, Moscow Inc. But they realized that social media was not just a way to communicate with each other. They had to also be wary of it because the more your, your general population communicates, the more free flow of ideas that goes through. And China has taken that bull by the horns by just going to companies and saying, uh, here's what we're going to do. You're just not going to allow information into this country or we will break you, find a competitor, and you will be out of the global market. You know, two billion people will just not ever have anything to do with you again, which is powerful, which is why Google and Amazon and Microsoft, all these people over there bow down to the Chinese. But with Putin, it was the other way around. He saw information not just as a vehicle for change that had to be controlled. He saw it as a weapon system. And it's a very old communist thought, uh, you know, because they use propaganda on a moment-to-moment -moment basis in Russia to the point where it's just a joke, right? It was laughable. Anything that came out of the Soviet Union was a lie. You know, sun rose this morning. Everybody run to the window and check if it was written in Pravda, right? Their newspaper, which meant the truth, which for 70 years everybody knew was a lie. So, but Putin realized, okay, we're in a different world. We're not communists anymore. But information is not just a vehicle for change. Information is a vehicle of change we can manipulate. And using all the old paper techniques the Soviet Union used that never worked, right up until Ladislav Bittman and his crew, the Czech intelligence officer working with the KGB, realized that some rumors and conspiracy theories have bigger legs than manufacturing a lie that is viable. So manufacture something that's not viable, something that's ludicrous right on its face. One of the most successful, if not the most successful piece of propaganda put out in the Soviet era was that the United States, the CIA, had created HIV and AIDS as a biological weapon to kill blacks and gays. There are websites that still say this, that literally are written about this. And I have met the guy who wrote it up. They had a planning meeting. They had cut, you know, review boards. <laughs> and they were like, you think they're too stupid to believe it? He was like, no, but we got to get it in for the information sphere. And they got it in through India. Right. And, you know, like 100 printing presses and, 50, right. yeah, and you know, 200 journalists on, on, you know, on payroll just to get one hint of it into the mainstream Associated Press or United Press International's themes. But now lies like that. Putin and his staff, that his defense staff realized information could be turned literally into a psychological cruise missile to where you could launch a lie let it fly on the currents of the World Wide Web 
or, you know, uh, and be targeted right to your victim using the Twitter guidance unit, <laughs> all right? And the payload of the lie would explode the moment you read it. And it would create a, a, a veneer of legitimacy and it would create, a, you know, for a moment, doubt in your mind that what you think you know or as I like to call it, your lion eyes. Yeah, I right? like Groucho Marx quote. It's, right, what you think our... you know is not how it really is. And so these old themes that the Soviets could never, ever get done could now move and be as legitimate as fast as the New York Times and as legitimate as the New York Times. And, you know, they and end up in the New York yeah. Times. Too. Well, they also well. set up strategic, new strategic organizations like you know, Russia Today to give the veneer of global legitimacy to be a Russian version of BBC and, you know, hire Americans and let them run an American version of Russia Today. One of whom I met recently and uh, she got quite mad when I called her a propagandist, you know, <laughs> but uh, she, and the, the, the best part about it was she goes, it's an organization of 148 patriotic, loyal Americans. And I said, you know, Tokyo Rose was an American citizen. <laughs> and I could just see the wheels turn where, you know, right there on stage, she must have thought, she must have been thinking, look up Tokyo Rose on Google. <laughs> and then I mentioned Lord Ha Ha, you know, it's just these kids, they it's, just don't have a historic grounding anymore. So Russia weaponized information and then they realized we just don't weaponize it. We could actually launch it in waves in such a way as that we could that you know do what we call intelligence preparation of the battlefield exactly where you will literally hijack the mindset of a foreign population and make them think that you if you decided to physically invade would be an ally exactly well that's what they didn't try to do in the ukraine yes they've, they've they tried that that. They, they've got all those ethnic russian ukrainians believing it oh absolutely so so that's where, where we came to where we are today. And Putin just launched that war. And that's why I call this Web War II. Because it, this is, we are now engaged in a global war of disinformation and, and propaganda that is playing out on my phone uh, minute to minute. And we're, we're pretty much have disarmed ourselves because we have, uh, you know, essentially an, an enemy, uh, you know, a person who is a fifth columnist in the White House. You know, uh, and it's not only him, it's his whole family, too. And, and his crew. I mean, you know, I called him in the first book the Kremlin crew, right? KK. <laughs> and uh, now, as I go deeper and got deeper dives, I mean, the, ca the cast of characters that I wrote about, I mean, it was very clear when I wrote the chapter on Roger Stone and Paul Manafort <laughs> that these two guys are as dirty as you can get right i oh, mean my god and it was very clear by the end of the chapter that stone's going to prison and you know voila the book launches and 48 hours later stone is going to jail so these weren't lo long stretches it's just the the interpretation that i can make as an intelligence analyst seeing you know malignant characters and i also do a lot of nodal analysis for terrorist groups right so mm -hmm. if you have terrorist one talking to terrorist two and they start buying a cruise missile or an rpg7 i can pretty much figure out bad things are going to happen <laughs> so when you have paul manafort and roger stone together and manafort's working in ukraine for the pro moscow government 
right? Organizing protests against NATO, which culminated with a U.S. Marine unit being, you know, besieged for two days with bottles and rocks and everything to the point where they had to abandon Crimea, courtesy of Paul Manafort. And then he stole, you know, he got given $70 million of illicit money that he tried to money launder into the United States. Someone's going to jail. <laughs> the problem is, right now today, as part of this impeachment process, the fantastical story that Paul Manafort is innocent and that it was actually Ukraine that hacked the DNC with Hillary Clinton, right? Yeah, yeah, they wanted the... the you, the DNC took itself out. It's yeah. like shot itself in. Yeah. Deliberately that. as a plan to destroy Donald Trump's stellar reputation. I mean, we're living in a world where 30% of this country right now believes that crazy story. And that is the ultimate in information shaping that Russia has done with us. 180 million potential voters saw in a Russian propaganda consistently. Trump was retweeting it. Cambridge Analytica was targeteering and going and doing micro-targeting uh, using Trump propaganda, Russian propaganda, anybody who was out there, and then bragging about how their job was to craft the, the, the mindset and the beliefs of a population. That's our what, population. Our population. Now yes. we've been attacked. Um, in fact, I had a, uh, a hilarious incident in which, uh, you know, formerly distinguished journalist Matt Taibbi of Rolling Stone, who mm -hmm. now I have no idea what's happened to that poor guy, actually called me out and tried to bully me into uh, an, an interview where he had seen me speak on MSNBC to Brian Williams, and I had just said some very patently flat statements that have been proven over and over again in the media and the Mueller report. Mm -hmm. And I said this thing about the Gerasimov doctrine, the doctrine of information warfare and, you know, crafting, crafting the information sphere so that a population will, you don't have to invade. The population will be on your side exactly. just based on the information they've been fed. And he came at me and he was like, where did you get that? Who told you that this was real? And I thought, Okay, you're Matt Taibbi from Rolling Stone, and you're going to come and ask me? And I said, well, you know, the book's twenty eight ninety five, and you could just read it or get it on Kindle and check it out. And he was like, no, you've got to give me your sources. And I go, the NATO handbook on Russian information warfare. How about that? <laughs> right? The Gerasimov talk. He goes, and then I showed him, the, I sent him links and, and of Russian academic studies of those very words. And he goes... Well, just because somebody writes something in a study doesn't mean that it's how it's been done. And I go, have you been living in the United States the last two years? Do you hear anything that you're denying right now? We are all seeing this play out in front of our lying eyes. But he's one of those guys, you know, the lib I call it the libertarian left. They're so far left, they come around to the alt-right. And they, they don't believe... He lived in Russia in the wild times, and there's some you know, things out there that, that, you know, which they thought that they were coming in and create their own newspaper and have a grand old time. And, you know, this is what the Russians were rejecting. This is why Putin came to power. The Americans who went there just sort of screwed them over and they wanted to do the screwing. So, you know, but to actually deny that any of this is happening reminds me of when I, I was outside the Pentagon, actually, 
across the, the uh, Potomac at the Lincoln Memorial in a, in a car looking at Arlington Cemetery. And I saw an airplane uh, flying over the Sheraton out west. This is my famous 9-11 story. And I thought, oh, they rerouted the airplanes to, oh, from, to not fly over Memorial Bridge. And the plane flew right smack into a build, into the Pentagon and blew up, right? For years, I have people calling me a liar. You couldn't, I actually had some guy was like, you know, he went to Google and said, you couldn't possibly, you couldn't possibly see the Pentagon from there, right? And it's like, yeah, it was September, right? If you sit there, you can see the top of the building and you can see the Sheridan, the Navy Annex, and you can see, boom. And it's just like, well, 9-11 truther stuff, right? Me and the other 2,000 people that saw it, right, fly an airplane, including the cop that I met that day, who was in his cruiser in front of the impact site, and the pole got knocked down on his car, right? Everybody's a liar. Um, so this is what the Russians rely on. This is what Trump relies on, right? That sort of the fog of unknowability, I believe uh, some scholars exactly. have called you it. Exactly. You don't have to prove that something's true. You just have to prove that nothing can be nothing true. Nothing can be true, except my truth, except my as truth. I say it. Yes, I, listen to me, because everything else you hear is obviously a lie. Now, uh, mm-hmm. I, one of the things I thought was, was really interesting was your history uh, of what of the family, Ivanka and... Jared, I mean, again, that kind you see all that drive, you know, pulling all that stuff to, you know, your, it, it all pulls to the history. So talk about um, the family. Yeah. Sarah Kenzie, or the, the, the scholar of authoritarian governments, had a brilliant phrase. And I remember I was on air with her when she said it. Um, and I thought, I'm going to steal that phrase every chance that I get. And she said, this isn't a government. This is a a dynastic kleptocracy, you know? This is where father, son, mother, and daughter, you know, come in to steal from the United States government. So no study of Team Trump was possible without going through the real details of Jared Kushner, uh, Ivanka Trump, Donald Trump Jr., you know, Eric Trump, and the whole Trump organization, which, as we know, has already pled guilty to multiple crimes, had multiple settlements. The state of New York is, has taken the Trump charity literally apart. It was closed because it was just nothing other than a piggy bank for Donald Trump to loot. Um, uh, and as a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, all by itself. yeah, micro kleptocracy, right? You know, but that's what families are for. So, and I believe it was Donald Trump Jr. who ran a charity for veterans that stole the money. Stole the money. <laughs> and these guys are, you know, are up there as beacons of patriotism, which is a lie because not one of them has served this nation ever. And believe me, this presidency does not count as serving this nation. So, um, but Ivanka has numerous issues, emoluments issues that I think as time goes on and whatever the next, if the, if the next administration has any honesty and decency and is democratic, they will be forced to go back and scrub all of these things. And they're going to find that she was taking Chinese money while a employee of the United States government. And we're going to find it. It's very obvious that they do insider trading, that they, uh, they get granted favors. 
And the worst part was all of these things, particularly for Ivanka, were designed to set her up to run for president. It's very clear that they, you know, they've been trying. My favorite part of the world uh, was when she went to the, I believe it was the G8 in, in Paris. And she was uh, standing at a meeting with um, Macron, oh. um, Macron and uh, the head of, uh, uh, of, of, the, uh, of the World Bank, uh, uh, Christine Lagarde. Who is just, you know, she is just Stephanie Rule on steroids, right? She's mm -hmm. just the most brilliant economist on this planet who has run whole governments and now runs essentially global money. And, you know, and here's Ivanka Trump, uh, you know, discount now clothing saleswoman, uh, <laughs> trying to jump in their conversation. And Lagarde rolls her eyes like, what are you? doing here but all of this having her represent the united states government and you know stand with world leaders is so disgusting but you know it's disgraceful and we really really should pass laws in the next congress to make sure that that's a felony right bringing your family in um and and so but she and her husband suddenly had all of their debts abolished Money is coming in. They are raking in $68 million a year. Both are U.S. government employees. And I personally think that every dime of that needs to be recouped because we will find out that their own personal interests were being day traded uh, on the basis of U.S. intelligence and U.S. relations. Again, betraying my age, all I can think of is the carpetbaggers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, but carpet carpetbaggers are the rest of Team Trump. <laughs> okay, I mean, they're just, it, it, it's, it's not even funny. Every person in that White House, in, to a certain extent, was dirty. Mm. Uh, 30 people the FBI had investigated on the National Security Council staff and other staffs that had been recommended for White House duty um, were, in the words of the FBI, unclearable. I had a top secret sensitive compartmented information security clearance for a quarter of a century. I have never heard the word unclearable. <laughs> and the reason I've never heard it is because if you were unclearable, which means you had a felony in your background, you had financial activities that would show you would steal from the United States government or use those, in, those you know, avenues of influence, they would just get rid of you in the vetting process. In the Trump White House, they hired them first and then had them working in the White House in sensitive jobs. And then the FBI rolls around and goes, whoa, this guy is a convicted, you know, felon. Uh, one guy had beaten both of his ex-wives, black and blue. You recall he was on the, the president's right. personal staff. And, you know, um, and, and 28 others who were just in unqualified for even a secret level clearance and to give you an idea of how unqualified that is pretty much everybody who goes in the army <laughs> is clearable for secret right unless you have some something really bad in your past they got to pretty much clear you i mean a lot of the manuals are, are secret level stuff these people couldn't even technically should never have been allowed past the front gate on the tour right which means you go past cops so <laughs> But this White House was full of people. We have uh, the, the current um, 
press secretary who does no press secretarying, right? Miss um, uh, Grisham. Oh, my God. She has two felony DUIs. She had been arrested twice. And it's like, how did you get in the White House? Well, you know, when if you I have think... an orange jumpsuit picture, you shouldn't be working in the White House. She has two of them. <laughs> you know, uh, one of the things that, that this makes me think of, too, is that's the way that the Russians operate. I mean, the crime and the mafia and the government are combined to the point where it's almost difficult to distinguish one from the other. Right. Well, you know, it, it is. And this is how mafia organizations work. And to t I'll tell you, when this is all said and done, um, this is going to be a mafia story. And I know Craig Unger wrote the book uh, House of Putin, House of Trump, which really was sh almost strictly his mob ties. But that ties into everything. I mean, Vladimir Putin bought the mafia under his control in Russia, and that's what made him so powerful because he guaranteed them a cut. You know what? The board, rather than brought them under control, bought them under control. Bought them under One letter difference, that's a huge difference, but that's really a very, fantastic very, very vision informing piece of information. Yeah. And just one of the things that's so interesting about your books is every page is packed with names and details, and you have just as a very incredible sense of storytelling. So I'd like you to talk about putting together the story and and the details and bringing what, I mean, when I read The Plot to Betray America, it, it's a relatively short book, but I'm thinking, my God, this book could be four times oh or five God. times as long. How do you cut it out? I had to cut out so much from this book. And the, the funny thing is when I wrote Plot to Destroy Democracy, one third of this book was supposed to be in that book. But I realized it's better to focus on the rest of the world and how they develop Team Trump. And this book is about Team Trump's own individual dirtiness. And as you write, as I wrote it, it was just so clear to see that this wasn't just about, I'm going to make some money. This was about the best way to make some money is to use the system to work with our allies and enemies to let them know that a new regime is in town and we are capable of being bought. It's just that simple. Joe Scarborough made a great statement on MSNBC last year that, that set the pace for the foreign policy section of the book where he wrote, um, he, he actually said, he said, it's very simple if you want to understand Donald Trump's foreign policy. If you buy Donald Trump, you buy America's foreign policy. Right. And buy, so I wrote buy one, buy one American buys America. And that is very true. And, the, and in the Middle East, particularly Saudi Arabia, the UAE, places like that, that had never, ever been true for an American president ever. You could not buy a president of the United States. Donald Trump came in with a giant for sale sign around his neck and a kick me sign around his back. And uh, and, and they said, hey, this guy is a player. He is mafia-like. He is. He is. He's. He's an authoritarian. Uh, he's going to use his position, and he'll protect us so long as enough money gets, you know, put on the table. But um, you know, I, I often say that as someone who's served this nation for for well over thirty years, um, you couldn't put enough money on. You, you you couldn't buy my loyalty, right? With Donald Trump, it's very clear he wants you to buy his loyalty. And so his foreign policy reflects that. He goes to countries who are enemies. He removes human rights from the State Department website. 
and he says the United States will not determine how it does business with you based on human rights. Which is insane. So what exactly was Normandy fought for? I mean, it's destroyed it. And, you know, he is just comes into this culminating personality, which I actually titled Chapter 15. Uh, The best name that I've ever heard for him came from a British uh, journalist who said, Donald Trump is an asteroid (laughs) of awfulness. And he really is. And, and with that, I, I go into the, the characteristics of, you know, of, of essentially the King George IV, you know. Yeah, more history, I thought, was really interesting to, to find out, to see those, those callbacks to help us understand what's going on today. It oh, you us. have to. I mean, you know, it, it, the American Revolution wasn't fought just because we, you know, we didn't like the tea tax. It was fought for a whole myriad of reasons. And that's why I like starting that chapter with the the NPR discussion of two years ago, where NPR on July 4th was reading the Declaration of Independence out loud. And, you know, the Declaration of Independence was was almost articles of of indictment. There were a list of indictable articles that would Mm -hmm. culminate with, and we need to be a free nation because you yourself, George III, are an asteroid of awfulness. And as they were reading it, you know, uh, they were reading the words and conservatives started bombarding the NPR website, talking about, you know, complaining about how horrible all the things they were saying about Donald Trump were. <laughs> and they had missed the point altogether. They, had, they were so vapid. They didn't even know what the words of it were in, in the, the Declaration of Independence you know, apart from the first five, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident and uh, that all men are created equal. After that, they don't know nothing. They didn't know that, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize Donald Trump was forcing us to house British soldiers in our homes at our own expense. You know, apparently many conservatives didn't know that when they heard that, that we, they thought liberals were actually accusing Donald Trump of putting troops into their homes at their own expense, which is why you have to know history and why history is so important, particularly our own history. Because, you know, there's a reason we are what we are today right up till 2016. Exactly. Also is a reason why Donald Trump's hatred and harnessing of evil uh, and and the worst characters of, 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 of men Uh, to paraphrase Lincoln, right? Our most awful angels, right? Our most awful demons is is the norm. And these people love it. They think this is the greatest period in American history. And uh, then again, they don't have the slightest clue of what American (laughs) history of. As that old article um, in 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 The Onion said a few years ago, where it said, uh, man is angry and takes up arms uh, because of violations of the declaration of, of violations of the Constitution that he's formed in his own head. <laughs> and it goes in a wild melange of the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance, the Constitution, and the Declaration of Independence. You know, <laughs> this guy believes that's what it really is, and and he's just. It's just vapid. Things that he had learned in elementary school have all been pushed together. And in his head, you know, you're violating the Constitution, you know. So that's that's what his 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 followers are. 
okay? I mean, this is a guy who champions xenophobia, racism, and they love him for it. Love him with a white-hot passion. Well, this is interesting. I mean, I think in a sense, um, the Russian invasion is an invasion of vapidity. So we'll just open our mouths and say, oh, yeah, whatever you say. Yeah. And I think that uh, one of the things, it's uh, reading this book, uh, as I was reading this book, the five dangles of Moscow. Oh, and, yeah. and, of course, what's the last one? It's the Ukraine. Ukraine. You know, and well, start it we off are. with weird things. The peace, you know, the peace plan for Ukraine, oh. which which turns out involved Giuliani and, <laughs> and Michael Cohen and all these people who are who have gone to jail and eventually are going to jail. Paul Manafort. But that was almost a fig leaf. We're finding out that that was just yet another component of the Trump team working with the pro-Moscow government of Ukraine that had been put out of power, who also, on the day that he ran off to Moscow, took as much as $50 billion from the Treasury and transferred it to Vladimir Putin, right? So, I mean, these guys aren't stupid. If that's what your airline ticket costs, okay, you got to pay it. Uh, But, you know, but it all goes back to... um, that Russia has a strategy. Russia wants Ukraine back in its mm. entirety as a satellite component of the old Soviet state. Well, that's kind of one of the, that's one of the uh, upshots of um, the the deal to de- the plot to destroy our democracy. Right, is that um, Ru- when Russia is trying to rebuild the Soviet Union without the Soviet. Right, they, they just that's- want. It want, they want all that land back. They want all those people back. And they also simultaneously would like to see the EU break up, thus yes. Brexit, thus the Scottish. The end of NATO. And, and, the end of NATO. I mean, Brexit would, would do everything that the Irish Republican Army couldn't do since the 19, <laughs> what, 1917 uprising. They would literally break up England. The United Kingdom would be reduced to England and Wales. Yeah. You know, and even North Ireland would probably reunite with the South for economic purposes to remain in the European Union and the Scottish referendum's coming. They're going to leave. And it's just utterly amazing. Someone in Russia reads history books and they know about grand strategy. And we have that capacity in this country. And I've said this many times, whoever the candidate is for president of the United States on the Democratic Party. And since I'm an African-American of middle age, that means I support Joe Biden. So, um, because I want to win, exactly. and I want to win desperately, <laughs> I'm not taking any chances on anybody. I don't care how much you like the other people. It's a roll of a dice. Um, and so, to get that done, I mean, we have to announce our own grand strategy to counteract this. Cause and that's what, what this book does offer hope. I mean, this is like, <laughs> you know, the the... The story of three terrible wars, and there's thankful you for a grain of hope there. Yeah, well, you, you have to have some hope. And mm-hmm. I look, I was born in Philadelphia. I believe in the American experiment, and I don't believe in just giving it up easily and allowing people to just come in and run roughshod over our, over our nation. So you have to really do that. And I always, in, in each of my books, I end with an epilogue that's really uplifting. Mm-hmm. And in fact, this book <laughs> has the has the additional uh, epilogue where I actually have to apologize to Benedict Arnold. Uh, for <laughs> Benedict Arnold gets vindicated because at the beginning of the book, you I go a... quite deeply into Benedict Arnold's treason. I, I thought it's fascinating. And as I'm reading, I'm seeing, 
what's great about this book and all your books is that as you read these pieces of history that might seem out of place you just go oh my god i know why he's telling us this yeah we're living through this we've seen this happen before yeah and you 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 have to i mean you have to you have to show your work right you have to be able to explain why all of these things why we're using the word treason why we're using the word betrayal and here's some people who've done real treason here's some people who've who've betrayed us here are two people who were executed in the 1950s for treason and we weren't at war yeah, the Rosenbergs. Which is, yeah, which is a pretty big loophole. And yeah. as a matter of fact, I've met their son. And uh, they were real spies. They really passed the atom- the hydrogen bomb secrets on to Russia. But they should have gotten life. I mean, you know, it was a different time in history. If any of the activities that Team Trump had done now were ever done at any other point in American history, there would have been treason trials. I mean, a president of the United States who's, he's not the Manchurian candidate. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Manchurian candidate was at least captured in combat <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and, and brainwashed into, into believing that, you know, um, that he had to go and assassinate the president of the United States. Uh, no, this is what I call the Siberian candidate, C-Y-B-E-R-I-A. Okay. Uh, the Siberian candidate has, believes that all of this is in his interest. He sees the world through Moscow's rose-colored glasses because Moscow's interest is his interest. His money interest, his ego interest, his belief that he needs to be, um, you know, sort of like Joe Pesci in Goodfellas, right? He's got to be the guy who's the harder of all the, the lieutenants, who's always the most violent, who's always quick to the gun, you know, who thinks he's going to be rewarded, right? And you remember what happened in Goodfellas. <laughs> he comes in, he's going to be a made man, and he walks into an empty room that's got plastic all over the floor. And he, you know, bad song. Yeah, and the last thing he realizes is, oh, you know, and he gets shot in the head. This is how, you know, I don't know how this is going to end other than Donald Trump will have to be held accountable to history. And I make that argument about Benedict Arnold, how Arnold actually served the nation. Uh, you know, but look what happened to him. I mean, you go to Battersea Church in London, which I love going to. So it's, it's a beautiful church in southeast London. And he is in a crypt in the basement that's been converted to a kindergarten. And he has a view of a fish tank. <laughs> and so Peggy Shippen and him, there's their notoriety, you know. Um, he doesn't deserve, by the way, the stained glass that he got. But Donald Trump won't get that. He won't get any of that. At some point in history, I'm sure, as, as we find out more, he will have a black shroud placed over his portrait as the f- first criminal, truly criminal president of the United States. And he most likely will not be able to avoid jail, uh, you know, which is, brings up an interesting Secret Service dilemma. Uh, <laughs> but if, if, there's an, if there's a Democratic Congress, they need to pass a law in the next one if we win the House and the Senate, that uh, presidents who are convicted lose their benefits. Absolutely. You know, too, um, it it strikes me that um, I think a lot of people will look at what Donald Trump deserves and say, that's almost unimaginable that that he could get what he deserves because it's so so bad. Mm -hmm. How could that ever come to pass? And it's like more, even though it's clearly deserved, the the that deserved outcome seems like almost a, a revenge fantasy rather than a realistic assessment of what could could happen. We're talking about impeachment, beyond oh. impeachment. Oh, jail. Oh. I, I, 
but it, I want to see what? him in orange. It is a revenge fantasy, okay? Until the, the until the leadership within our government changes, I am not. You know, I, I, I am not for the whole kumbaya thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, look, I'm not Lincoln. <laughs> all right, Lincoln had real reason to say, hey, we've got to bring this all together. It's going to be rough. We have to do, you know, um, we have to do reconstruction. We have to really, you know, do some kumbaya there. Not here. What we really need to do is deprogramming. Mm-hmm. And we and you we, talk about that. Yeah, we, we have to use the Finnish method. Finland has a national PSA system now where... Uh, in school, on television, they're constantly reminding you of what's legitimate sources and what are illegitimate sources. Uh, and that foreign nations that go on their eastern border lie all the time and will trick you into believing things that are not real. And if you say that to the point of, as we, we say, and, and, and when I used to teach survival school and we would waterboard people, right? This, we weren't torturing you. We were giving you stress inoculation by introducing you to a tiny fraction of what real torture is going to be, but it's pretty awful. So, you know, uh, but you have to do that to a certain extent. So Finland does it, starts in elementary school. Reality inoculation. Yeah, and they start showing you, this is the news, all right? This is state news. This is fake news, okay? If it's too hard, you know, here, you know here's the Loch Ness Monster. Okay, Godzilla is not real. and things like that you know but in our country due to freedom of speech that has allowed our enemies to weaponize freedom of speech and and turn the freedom of speech and and your right to believe what you want into a dagger into your own democracy and to destroy your own liberty and freedom and it's nice to have an inoculating uh agent to hopefully prevent that well i would i would like to think so uh and i like to think that my writing is an inoculating agent, but you'd oh, have to. Absolutely. But you'd have to believe, and I think the people who do read my books, and there's there's a lot of them. Um, I mean, I got stopped in London Airport by one of their airport security guards. Oh, really? And said, "Hey, I read your book." Did he thank you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he he just thought it was great, and uh, I was like, "Wow," you know. But we have to understand that we are living in a time where we are literally in battle. And you don't see the battle, but the battle rages around in your head every day. Um, and those people who understand where this all comes from. Look, there was another New York Times bestseller, number one, when I, when I wrote my last book. And it was um, Greg Gutman from Fox News' book, The Russia Hoax, which is exactly what Trump is arguing today. Mm-hmm. Russia did nothing wrong. They're innocent. They're kind and caring people. And Donald Trump was strong leader and that Hillary Clinton put together a secret insurance policy where she got the whole deep state together and decided if he wins, we're going to cheat and, you know, and do a silent coup. They wrote this in a book and it, it sold ten, hundreds of thousands of copies because the Republicans bought them and then just start giving them out at Trump rallies and all these places. And that is propaganda. It, empirically, it cannot hold itself up because we have intelligence reports, we have government investigations, we have the entire Mueller report, which even this morning, they are referring to as a fantasy, right? It's fascinating. One of the things that's most frightening is that mm-hmm. it's not just Donald Trump, it's the entire top end, at least, of the Republican Party 
who seems to have been bought over. Right. Well, and, and you mentioned in your book one of my favorite characters is is the Shmoo. Uh, well, the Shmoo. Well, Dana Rohrbacher. Oh. I, I come from uh, Orange County at one point in my life, and, and Rohrbacher was ostensibly represented me, presumably to Russia. Well, I mean, what did they say? He was the representative of Moscow. I mean, the Republicans <laughs> all believed that he didn't. He say the the guys who were bought were Donald Mitch. Uh, um, McCarthy said uh, the the people who were bought by Russia was Donald Trump and Dana Rohrbacher, mm-hmm. you know, on the Russian payroll. I think was the phrase that he used. And Rohrbacher, I was on a panel with him, and that was hilarious. I was on with um, Anna Navarro from CNN uh, and uh, uh, Phil Houghton, the the um, the historian from the Spy Museum, uh, and um, uh, Ted Lieu. Oh, uh, who was wow. great, who was hilarious. He's and me and Dana Warbacher. And Warbacher's response to everything Russia was, have you been there? Have you been there? <laughs> and, uh, you know, those people are wonderful and they're all very nice. This is a guy who sounds like he's getting a mail-order bride delivered. You know? <laughs> he just thinks that someone's going to, you know, if he you went over there... there with the bridal party. He yeah. He mail-order. Yeah, if you went over there, you know, a woman in lingerie will meet you at the front door with a martini when you come home from work and massage your feet while you drink it. And, you know, and I thought, this guy is off his rocker. And then Anna <laughs> Navarro stepped up, and she goes, I'm never going to Russia. I'm never going to Russia. She goes, I was born in a totalitarian communist nation, and I don't give my money to anybody that doesn't believe in freedom and democracy. I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know? I said, oh man, she just tore him apart and the audience went crazy. And this guy was like, you don't understand Russia because you've never been there. Yeah, okay, I don't have to understand strychnine <laughs> to know that I'm not gonna like it if I ingest it in those the famous words of Tina Fey, right? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have to do drugs to know the outcome is not going to be good. <laughs> and same thing with, you know, living in a kleptocratic, autocratic society where they routinely put bullets in the heads of journalists and use the most obscure poisons to kill their enemies, you know? so These people are not your friends. They are not anyone's friends, right? And it's all for them to, you know, maintain this country in power. But if real democracy, you know, if there were, were ever to bloom in the way that we would think it would, it would lead to civil war over there. The new book by Malcolm Nance is The Plot to Betray America, How Team Trump Embraced Our Enemies, Compromised Our Security, and How We Can Fix It. Thank you for joining me, Malcolm. It is my pleasure to be here. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.